as the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, I've received apologies from Pat and Jim Wells. Uh, Keith or Matthew, have you got any uh, sort of uh, uh, voting rights from either of them have been passed on? Yeah, I, I, I have delegated voting rights, yeah. Okay. Okay, but... Um, do, I need, Pat, do you need a... F- Pat would need to tell me that. Okay, um, right, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, ma- I'll message him to see if he's right. If he, if he doesn't, then that's fine. We haven't got okay, thanks very much, Anita. Just if I leave early, then I will pass my voting rights on to Melissa. That's what oh, you, you pass it on to Melissa. Okay, that's fine. Okay, any declarations of interest of relevant financial or other interest to the committee uh, meeting as applicable? Nope. Uh, no chairperson's business. Uh, draft minutes of the proceedings from the 7th of April 2021. The draft meetings are at page 7. Are we content with these? Agreed? Agreed. No matters arising. Uh, right. Stephen, just to keep you right on this one, keeping all the members in the spotlight? Yeah, okay. Uh, first up, we have a written briefing the Department of Finance the Disposal and Retention Schedule. I refer members to the copy of the Department of Finance Disposal and Retention Schedule at page 16, as laid on the 18th of June. I remind members that the committee considered the schedules on the 30th of June and agreed to write to the Department in respect of the retention periods associated with the health and safety, accident report, reporting and procurement records, asking why these retention periods have been selected and how they compared with those of the executive other de- other executive departments and other United Kingdom jurisdictions. The Department has responded on page 18, indicating that retention periods are in line with other jurisdictions in the UK, are informed by guidance from the National Archives and PRONI. I think that is their answer has come back from it. I think that is a reasonable answer. However, I, without holding anything up, uh, I would like to see a copy of that guidance, just so that we can just make sure that that's the guidance has been placed forward. And I think the committee would welcome that. But I don't want to, st- uh, I want to, don't want to slow up any of the process. So therefore, as the committee contempt, there is no objection to the departmental disposal and retention schedule. Say, are we agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Uh, next item, the yes, SL. Sorry. Just sorry, just a quick question on page 31. Uh, reviewing of that schedule, it goes through the Assembly every three years. Have we any date when that happened or when it's due to happen? Unless I've missed it in that. Okay, good question. So that's at page 31. It's okay. It's, it's, it's reviewed by the Assembly every three years. So the, my question is, when was it done and when, obviously, when is it due to be done? So this is us doing it now. Uh, this is the th- Purely now? Yes. Okay, fair enough. So, but uh, I will, uh, sure, I'm writing to the Department anyway. I'll just ask fair them enough. to make okay. sure that's the fair case. Enough. Okay. Okay. Content? Yep, yep. Uh, next item, item number seven, SL1, the new NAV list, time evaluation order Northern Ireland 2021. The Department of Finance proposes to make a statutory rule under powers conferred by Article 39A of the Rates Northern Ireland Order 1977. Information on the proposed rule is from page 96. The purpose of the draft rule is to set 1st of September 2021 as the antecedent valuation date AVD for the 2023 rates revaluation of all non-domestic properties. The department explains that the minister announced on the 16th of June that the next revaluation of commercial properties listed on the NAV list non-domestic properties is to be introduced from the 1st of April 2023. This will reset the valuations used within the non-domestic rating system. In preparation for the 2023 revaluation exercise, the value of a property has to be ascertained by reference to a particular date. That's the uh, that will be the date in October. The department indicates that owing to the time needed to revalue all the non-domestic property in Northern Ireland, the AVD is always set in advance of the date upon which the new NAV list will come into force. 
The statutory rule is subject to negative resolution procedure and is set in to come into operation as soon as possible. Any comments? Okay. If we're content then, if, if the committee is content that there is no objection to the related policy and that is also content with the department to make the rule, are we agreed? Agreed. And next, SL1, the Financial Assistance Coronavirus No. 2, Amendment No. 2, Regulations Northern Ireland 2021. Uh, the, the Department proposes to make a statutory rule under powers conferred by the Section 1, and 1 2 and 3 of the Financial Assistance Act Northern Ireland 2009. The rule is to be made with the approval of the Executive Office. Information on the proposed rule is from page 103. The Committee has previously considered statutory rules which both created the local restriction support scheme and ensured the continuation of the LRRS support payments to businesses as pandemic restrictions altered. The Department advises that as the Executive lifted most restrict COVID restrictions in May 2021, no active claims from businesses are being considered under the scheme, and the scheme is therefore no longer active. The proposed rule will discontinue LRSS. The statutory rule is subject to negative resolution procedure and is to come into operation as soon as possible. Members, do we have any comments? Okay. Just a quick comment. Anybody obviously with any queries, a ticket that still would be addressed or sorted out. It's closing the scheme for new applicants because obviously there's nobody open. You know, so anybody with queries would still be addressed, if there is any. I think uh, with the uh, acceptance of the committee, I th think we should ask for an um, update and, uh, from the department on this, because I've had at least one as a consti uh, constituent's questions, not quite related to this, but because the scheme had been closed, they weren't able to get some information right. on it. So that's my sort of, yeah. Yeah. So can we ask that question? Right to the department in those terms, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Go I, ahead, Matthew. There's also the, Gordon's, um, sorry, Keith's question is a good one, but the, the um, there's also the question about, I don't think there's any expectation that we are going to go back into the restrictions that we've had previously, but um, there's still the theoretical possibility, I presume, that there may be some, you know, in, in, in the next year to 18 months, there may be other forms of restrictions that require financial support that may be much more discreet, they may be much more bespoke, but uh, I suppose there's a question there about whether there has been some consideration or discussion about whether, I mean, does this imply that the view is that there will 100% not need to be localised restrictions support at any point in the next year or two? Certainly, currently you would hope and expect that there won't be, but surely that can't be. You, it would, that would be quite a big presumption, and it, wouldn't this provide, you know, closing off this uh, um, scheme now seems to provide bureaucratic tidiness without, mm. while removing a potential quick route to providing support at some point theoretically in the future, if you see what I mean. So, just so what you were thinking action. about is potentially sort of uh, keeping some form of LRSS on the statute book that could be invoked if necessary as an emergency measure or as a... Uh, well, I, I, I just want to ask that question. It's not, it's not that I'm saying that's a good idea or we definitely need to do that. It's that have they considered that and why have, have they deemed that that mm. is so unlikely or so, or that, uh, I, I suppose just, that's not me predicting or calling for some, some restrictions that require targeted financial support. It's simply saying this seems quite to be, if it's not causing any, um, if there's no I mean, it says there's no live cases being processed by the, for the Department of Finance. This would seem to be, you know, tidy mindedness, which is nothing wrong with that. But what would be the harm and is, is my question. I'm not saying we should 
avoid passing it today or, or, or hinder it. I'm just, I think it's also worth us asking the question. But I think, um, sort of, to sort of paraphrase, you're making a proposal, a proposal that we also write to the department to ask them what's their thinking behind, uh, what, what is their thinking for future support measures and whether they would look to look at something similar to LRSS? Yes, yes, basically. And, and, and I mean, it may be that we all hope, obviously, that it's not necessary, but there clearly has to be at least a small chance that it's necessary in the next year. Okay. Why, like, what's the, what, why not kind of... What, what's well, the we'll, ask, we'll ask a question on here. Are we content? Yeah, yeah, incorporate that. Yeah, yeah to incorporate the same letter to the thing. Oh. I mean, I have no difficulty uh, being prepared, but it seems like we're essentially writing to the department asking about some hypothetical situation that may or may not ap appear. Uh, I mean, I know when the, this legislation was needed, you know, it came into effect pretty quickly. I would imagine if something was needed, uh, it again could come into being pretty quickly. I mean, I don't think we should be wasting the department's time writing off asking about some hypothetical situation that may or may not occur. I think the department have shown themselves pretty adept and adapt at implementing schemes as and when they were needed in a quick and timely fashion, and if need be, if it was needed, as Matthew says, Touchwood, it isn't needed again, that they would do so again. I'm just acknowledging that through the chair that, I mean, it's not a hypothetical situation because we are literally still in the middle of COVID, it, so that's, to me, the opposite of a hypothetical situation, that's something we've just lived through, are still living through, so I'm not suggesting we hold this up or create any extra burden, I think it's a legitimate question to, for us to ask the department as to... Um, what they would do in, in the situation in that, in that situation in the future. I, I'm not trying to create burden for the work of the department, but it's our job to just ask these questions. And, I, and as I said, I don't think it's hypothetical because it's given that we've we are still think, in the middle of it. I think, I think it's the chair follow-up, and I understand what you say, but I think we should be asking. I think it's, it's a worthy, worthy question of asking. Okay. Uh, so therefore, but because we are content, apart from that, the content that there's no objection to the related policy, then it's also content to the department to make the rule. Are we so agreed? Agreed. Agreed. A statutory instrument, the UK Statistics Amendment, etc., EU Exit Regulations 2021. The Minister has written that he has agreed to Westminster bringing forward a statutory instrument under powers conferred by Section 8.1 of and Paragraph 21 <coughs> of Schedule 7 of the European Union Withdrawal Act 2018 as amended. The statutory instrument will apply to all devolved legislatures and will repeal retained EU law, which requires the UK to prepare and submit statistics to the EU. Since the UK has exited the EU, it is no longer necessary for the UK to submit the statistics. The statutory instrument is described as being technical in nature with no legislative or financial implications and is expected to be led in the autumn. It is understand there is no related assembly procedures. Now, despite the fact of my sort of personal views on the protocol, etc., there is a question here I have if that we are not um, sharing um, statistical information. Does that go against what we're trying to do, particularly within some of the elements of the protocol and other areas as well? So I'm not quite sure about this one. And I just probably want to have some clarity of the, whether there's a requirement of uh, exchange of information under sort of the Northern Ireland, Ireland protocol or some of the other issues as well. And I'd just like some clarity to that before we would agree to the statutory instrument. Because it does, Northern Ireland is in a, as regrettably, depending which way you want to look at it, is in a unique situation on this. And I just probably want to get some clarity of, of information before we would look to uh, we would look to uh, agree to this. Mr. Jim. Uh, Chair, as I understand, this relates to generalised 
EU statistical information which is gathered from member states. Uh, for me, it's very welcome that we've escaped one liberty and it's from one demand of EU bureaucracy. I don't think it has anything to do with their protocol. Um, but so I just welcome the fact that it's a small escape clause. <laughs> Any other comments? Well, I think I would say, Chair, in a strange way, I'm slightly perturbingly, probably for both of us, I'm uh, in agreement with Jim, not that this is welcome, but that this is, in, in one sense, shows the limitations of the protocol because it is about, it just, this is a requirement that requires public bodies to share information with, for example, Eurostat, which is the Statistics yep. Gathering Authority in the EU. So um, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to, I, I, don't, I don't just, you know, it's, it's the question you ask seems to me a reasonable one about um, uh, whether there is any, um, whether the ability to share information with, I don't think there's anything which I presume from this which pre would prevent Northern Ireland authorities sharing information in order to make the protocol work, for example, more smoothly. That would be something surely we would all want. But um, I, I don't have a problem with the question you've chosen to ask. Um, but it does illustrate the limitations to the, to the protocol and the fact that in most cases we are, the vast majority of areas we are outside the EU, like the rest of the UK, for not for better, for worse in my view, but we are where we are. So, um, just judging the room, because I'm not hard over one way or another, so are we happy to agree the statutory inst instrument now? I mean, I'm... Yeah. Yes. Okay. Happy enough. The committee is content, therefore, to note the statutory instruments, the UK st Statistics Amendment, etc., EU Exit Regulations 2017. Are we agreed? 2021. 2021. <laughs> we are agreed. Excellent. Hurrah. Um, are we, uh, members, are we happy to adopt the revised agenda for today's meeting, which has included page three of the table items? That's because we're just about to do the SL1. And uh, can we remove the, so how does this work, Stephen? We remove the members from the spotlight and we bring the witnesses, I think that's Sharon, Michael and Billy, onto spotlight until the end of the briefing. There they are. They're all there. Are we? Yep. They're all, I think, can I get Billy in now? There we go. Oh, oh it's working. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Michael. Hi, Billy. Hi. Good afternoon. Good. Uh, team, we're just taking oral evidence now on the SL1 Financial Assistance Aluminium Composite Material ACM Remedi Remediation Fund, private residential properties over 18 metres, regulations in Northern Ireland 2021. We will receive all evidence from the Department on the subordinate legislation relates to combustible cladding on residential properties. We've always already heard quite a large amount of evidence on this, but obviously we're fully cognizant of the importance of the issues on combustible cladding. Particularly, also we saw um, very regrettably the fire that was in Italy a couple of days ago as well, with another building that had uh, combustible cladding on it as well. Uh, welcome on Starley, Sharon Smith, who's the Director of Construction Procurement Delivery in the Department, Michael Watson, who's his Deputy Director, and Billy Black, who's Head of Building Standards. The following are relevant for this agenda item. Uh, Clark's note at page 5 of the table papers, the SL1 at page 6 of the table papers, and departmental related correspondence from page 8 of the table papers. Uh, who's going to speak? Well, that would be myself, Chair, Sharon Smith. Okay, Sharon. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, but thank you very much for allowing us to come on and give you an update. Um, and you've got the SL1 for a note to note. Um, you, as you mentioned, Chair, there's been a lot of correspondence about the, um, the follow-up to the Grenfell um, tar, tar fire and the aluminium composite of material, the ACM cladding systems, which are now banned since 2018. Um, 
And since then, there has been a lot of correspondence, particularly with Hawks, who was chairing the cross-departmental um, working group. And Hawks wrote to the department in June of this year just to ask DOF to uh, look at the scope of, and scale of a problem that was presented Sharon, to her in Sharon, relation just to... Just a quick one for my education. Who's on that Hawks committee? Which, which um, departments are represented? Um, the departments are the Department of Finance, the Department of Health, Department for Economy, and um, DSO, Department of Solicitor's Office. Um, yeah, and DFE, obviously, yeah. So DOF, DFE, DFC, and DOH. Okay, and that's chaired by the head of the civil service? Yep. There, there has been some progress since that. The head of the civil service has written back to the Department of Finance to ask the Department of Finance to now chair a meeting um, with the cross-departmental group again. And the purpose of that is to agree the most appropriate structures to take forward a coordinated building safety programme and also for the remediation of non-ACM cladding. So the other elements of the fire safety remediation that we're not including under this SL1. Okay, thank you. Could we, ha could we say a, a note of that, um, what's now coming towards, obviously, back towards the Department of Finance, because obviously that then it comes under our purview, and obviously something we've been keeping a close interest in it. So we'd be really interested to see what sort of, uh, what the, sort of the, the guidance and the sort of the level of, the level of requirement is for that, if you could do that. Thanks very much indeed. Absolutely. That's okay. not a problem. Thanks, Sharon. Um, so the head of the civil service um, asked the Department of Finance, given the um, unsafe and the fire combustibility of the ACM cladding, to look to see the scale of this across Northern Ireland. Uh, Victoria Place, um, which is in Belfast, was identified as one building that had ACM, and our minister and representatives have met with residents from Victoria Place. Uh, what we didn't know was whether there were other buildings. We did some preliminary research, and our preliminary research has identified that the Victoria Place seems to be the only um, a, a high rise over 18 metres um, building with ACM cladding fitted. Uh, that's where the uh, SL1 then is taken forward because we've got executive approval that we can set up a time-limited fund to remediate ACM cladding. Our focus is to ensure that there aren't any other buildings out there with ACM fitted, so we're putting out a public call uh, once the SL pro SL1 process has been approved um, and we can seek to the Finance Financial Assistance Act to set a fund up to £1 million. Uh, the the purpose of the fund up to one million is to cover any other buildings, including Victoria Place. We've got an idea of the scale of the cost for that building. And, and again, there's an eligibility process to go through, which we will um, start to do once we put the public call out and we start getting evidence back. So the re remediation also, as I mentioned, has eligibility criteria. So we're very much following what's been done in um, England with the Ministry for Housing, Councils and Local Government our communities and local government, MHCLG, they have a very well-established eligibility criteria. Uh, it also outlines what the fund will cover, um, and that's work directly re related to replacing the unsafe ACM cladding systems. Uh, and that means any access uh, requirements, removal and disposing of existing cladding, replacing materials, uh, labour and reasonable on cost to the contractor, professional team fees, and any man managing agent fees in respect of administering qualifying expenditure. So th there's quite a lot covered. There, there are, are exceptions, and this will all be set out in the application process. Um, so really what the SL1 will allow us to do is to set up the enabling legislation to uh, set up the fund to seek applications to the fund for ACM. 
we are aware that they're with with us taking on this work in DOF um, and really the reason that CPD is taking this on is there's no identifiable department or responsibility across the civil service to do this. But given the urgency and the um, the fact that it is deemed to be unsafe, it is about protecting people in their homes. So that's why we're expediting this and, and setting it up for ICM. Obviously, with taking this on board, the department has received correspondence to talk about other non-ACM unsafe cladding, which has been identified as the testing has rolled out in, in, in England. Um, and that's what we're hoping that the, the team that's now led by DOF will come to establish, to establish the structures um, and processes and resources to take forward the wider scheme. Uh, that really is it. Chair, just really open up for questions now. Yes, certainly. Look, just focusing in on Victoria Place, um, that's the only, as, as I understand it, that's the only place you've identified that has the aluminium sort of cladding involved in it. How many people we're talking about being displaced? Do we know? There won't be any displacement. It, it is a replacement of the cladding. They won't, people won't have to decant, is, is my understanding. It's, it's actually very discreet where the cladding is placed. There will be obviously some disruption with the construction, but part of the application funding is to make sure that there's communication with residents, that people know when the works are starting and any inconvenience that might be caused. But my understanding is that no one will have to relocate, that the building will remain intact and operational throughout. So it's just it's, it's just the external cladding. So where it links through into the securing points into the building and the rest of it, that's not going to affect where people are living. No. Okay. Well, thanks very much, indeed. And is a million quid enough? Well, for the ACM element of it, we believe so. Again, um, we have said if there is any further funding required, we'll we'll go back and seek approval. Um, our minister will go back to the executive and see re receive approval. But we we've. Been working closely with the Northern Ireland Fire and Rescue Service, and from their research, we believe that Victoria Place is the only premises. It is over 18 metres. Um, we're, we're not going below 18 metres, and there's been a recent recent announcement, uh, further work that's been done with the expert um, panel to suggest that any building below 18 metres um, doesn't really represent a threat to life, and also there a, a lot of the cost that's now residents are now facing. Um, is because there's a, an um, external wall system form and um, the most recent advice is that for buildings below 18 metres that you shouldn't be asking for one of those forms. Now, Billy's obviously maybe more steeped in the technical areas of this, but that's that's the current understanding that was, that's been released since the 21st of July this year. So it is very, it's a, it's a moving um, position as the testing has, has been taken forward. Okay, thanks. Any questions? Uh, Jim Alistair. Jim. Why £1 million? How do you arrive at that? We arrived at that based on what we believe is indicative costs. Now, the Victoria Place are out to tender at the minute, so we don't have firmed up costs, but you will appreciate, uh, and that's allowing sufficient headroom. Now, it's up to £1 million. So, for example, this year, we believe with the works taking place at the time it may take, we may not we not may not actually seek affordability for that million this year because we may not be able to spend it. Uh, but we believe that the one million will cover Victoria Place and any other building that may come towards us. But again, it is really just an estimate. Um, and and uh, is that targeted at one hundred percent coverage of the cost? The costs, it's very clear in the eligibility what the costs are, what the costs will cover. There's some elements of building safety that won't be covered by the ACM remediation fund. There may be other areas like fire doors or anything else is identified. Well, we will cover those. 
they won't be covered under this scheme. Um, Who will cover them? The residents? It could be the building owner, could be the managing agent, uh, but it, it may, may fall down to the resident. Um, one of the issues in GB is that the funding set aside is leaving a considerable shortfall for tenants and owner-occupiers. Is that going to happen here? So our focus at the minute is the ACM cladding, which is the most prevalent in terms of um, fire safety. Uh, that's the, the cross-departmental working group will then identify what resources and structures and systems are need to be in place to cover elements that relate to either fire safety or any other elements that are covered by but, the but scheme. In bringing, in bringing forward this scheme, have you no idea whether this is likely to meet 50% of the cost, 80% of the cost, 20% of the cost? Sure, you we, must have done some work on that. We believe it will cover 100% of the cost for the building that we're aware of, but the public call that will be will go out next month, or in fact this month, uh, that's now being the 1st of September, um, will ask for um, applications for the fund, and that will be from the Victoria Place and any other buildings that we're unaware of. What we're also doing in the public call is to ask for building owners to come forward who have non-ACM um, private residents, high-rise residents over 15 metres, um, to get a scale and scope of the likely potential for a further fund, and, and that is where, we're, where our focus is. So, so I'm a little confused. Does that mean if three other buildings come forward, that the amount available in Victoria Place will correspondingly reduce? No. So what we will what we the will cover will have to correspondingly increase. Is that what you're saying? So, so we've bid for a fund up to a million, and that's based on what we know. If other properties come, in, and this was in the executive paper, if other properties are brought to our attention and we go through the application process and we need to seek further funds, we will go back to the executive through the minister to seek for additional funds. Can I take you back to a question which I don't think you did answer? Uh, if there are fire doors, etc., which aren't covered by this fund, uh, surely you must have some idea in terms of the total cost to take Victoria Place to put it in a safe future condition. You must have some idea uh, what the balance requirements will be, in other words, how much this fund will cover and how much it won't cover. Surely you must have uh, tested that in some fashion. The, the fund will only cover ACM cladding. That's the, it's a very defined scope. That's yes. that's the most so prevalent. How much does that leave in terms of safety of a building? What the Victoria Place have a tender out at the minute to seek costs for remediation once those costs are known, and we believe one million pounds will cover that. But we don't have precise costs in terms of the ACM cladding at present. Yes, but but, but I don't think. It would... I don't think you're addressing the question that I'm seeking to ask. Yeah. Um, so fire doors will not be included in the ACM remediation fund. Yes, I'm trying to. If I was a tenant or a, an owner occupier in Victoria Place, I would welcome the fact that you're going to replace the cladding. But I'd want to know of the other expenses which are consequential to that. Who's paying for those? And how much are they likely to be? And what I can say in answer to that is that this fund, which we're proposing, will only cover the ACM cladding. Yes, I've got there's that. been no, there's been no investigation in terms of the additional costs. 
It's not. So it's not. The you don't even know if this fund is going to cost ten percent of uh, cover ten percent of the total or ninety percent of the total. What I will know, you know is, is it'll cover the cladding. Yes, and that's exactly what the scope of this fund is for: ACM cladding. It's a very defined scope. Okay. But it's not. It doesn't give much certainty to residents, does it? Well, certainly the, the residents that have come forward are that their focus is on replacing remediation of the ACM cladding. That's what the discussions have been about. Sorry, can I just uh, go in there, Sharon? Sorry, Jim, for cutting across there. I mean, what's this? Obviously, Victoria Place at the moment, is it a safe building if obviously we're trying to get remove the, the cladding from it? So what additional uh, fire safety precautions have actually been put in the building for the residents at the moment? Chair, that's not DOF's responsibility. DOF's responsibility at the minute is to look at the ACM cladding. We will not. We haven't done any. Neither would we do any fire um, investigations or fire safety investigations for for any private sector residential. The ACM remediation fund is solely to replace the unsafe cladding because that's and, and my understanding is this is mapping very very closely to the MHCLG guidance and their eligibility. They did not replace fire door. Is my understanding again not all over the technical detail. Really, what our focus is for this very short time-bound fund is to replace the ASM cladding, which is the which is the element that has been brought to the t attention of uh, the head of the civil service, and what which is what the head of the civil service has asked us to do. Okay, is but is the building uh, Victoria Place? Is it is obviously at risk at the moment? So what are it, we doing? It will have had all its fire um, safety precautions and there are other things. The ACM cladding is only one element of a fire, the fire safety assessment in a building. Um, and we've, as I say, we've been working very closely with the Northern Ireland Fire and Rescue Service. You know, that they are, that the, the, the chances or the risk is, is very, very low. But what we do know is that ACM cladding is a banned product and the government has intervened to remediate to take those off and the other element is that people are finding it very difficult to remortgage to get to get mortgages from their lenders because of the the cladding issue uh, and that's another element of of why the government is intervening just another question sorry jim sorry, but again this is just something that's sort of cropped up and sort of in your in your evidence um how did we identify victoria place what what was the thing that triggered it that we identified it was it residents who raised the concerns, or what, what was what was specifically about Victoria Place? You know, we're focusing on we're focusing on one building, and would have presumed that there had been construction across all of Northern Ireland that might have raised these issues. What what was it that raised triggered about Victoria Place? Um, it was correspondence through the head of the civil service. I think there was correspondence for a period of time, but again, no one department had responsibility for this. And then when the head of the civil service asked the Department of Finance to investigate the scope of the issues that had raised, uh, been raised through Victoria Place, and that was the ACM cladding, uh, our investigations identified that that was only the one building in Northern Ireland over 18 metres that had ACM cladding fitted. And that's where our scope is now. But uh, really, we can't rely on the, the uh, very and uh, very desktop exercise that we've done and that's why we're putting out the public call to make sure that that is the only building in Northern Ireland with ACM cladding over 18 metres. Okay, thanks. Keith? Okay, thank you, Sharon. Just a point you touched on the, in England there's a point in the, the notes re referring to there looking at to move the threshold down to 11 metres and you, you sort of said you weren't that, well not that you weren't concerned but obviously didn't create the same risk. But then you also said that you're going to look at a scale and scope 
and different heights of buildings. Why would you not include the smaller buildings now whenever you're doing it? Well, the, the guidance has come out since the 21st of July, and there has been there has been a lot of work done because of the difficulties that residents in any types of, of multi-storey properties are having to get mortgages and getting lenders to, you know, be able to, to, to give them lending or to agree to lending. And the recent research says that there's no systemic risk of fire in blocks of flats under 18 metres. And that's with either ACM or non-ACM cladding fitted. And what, what the government uh, that have done a huge amount of work in this in England is saying is that it's safe to lend money on those properties because it's it's the fire evacuation, it's the other elements of, of risk to the building. They have deemed that it's, it's disproportionate to put buildings under 18 metres to the same level of um, fire risk precautions and difficulties in lending that it is on over 18 metres. So... Our focus has to be on the risks or the, or the buildings that need the, the attention most. So it is on the over 18 metres. Uh, and that's, the, as I say, this is a very quick moving feat. Uh, and that, that came out on the 21st of July. So, so we're trying to keep abreast of all the, the good advice that's coming out from the mainland. So you may refer to, Sharon, last question, if I may, that's the okay. ACM. Is there any buildings higher than 18 metres with a different definition than ACM? Because that's very much aluminium composite material. Is there any other it's something that, that's, that's not an aluminium cover? It could be a PVC covered composite material. So in other words, it falls Can outside I... the scope of ACM. And, and that's where the public call will be added to ask for other types of cladding okay. that are unsafe outside so, of the ACM, because the ACM is deemed to be the most unsafe. But there are, you're right, there are other types of, of cladding, and some may have the same characteristics. Um, and, and we're, that's why the call is open tonight to get that scope so we can go back to the executive to see if we need to seek what we do believe we'll need to seek another scheme and to find out the resources and structures to put that in place. And just one final quick question, if I may, Sharon. The, the material on Victoria Place, what is it currently? What is, what is that cladding made of? We, we believe that is ACM. Okay. And, and the res residents have been able to, and the building owner has been able to give um, tests. To have, they've had tests carried out, so they and the Fire and Rescue Service have confirmed that it's ACM as well. And the composite, what is the composite makeup of that panel? Is it polyurethane, polyethylene, polystyrene? Or do you know? I'm going to pass over to Billy Black, if right. that's okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, yes, th thanks. Yes, sure. Um, we're, we're not actually sure. It was the fire brigade identified it. Um, there's three classifications of ACM. There's the uh, polyethylene core, which was the one that was on Grenville, and that's highly combustible. Then there's a core which is fire retardant, and then there's one which is uh, meant to be non-combustible. So um, it wasn't in the information we were provided, it, it wasn't identified what particular class of ACM it was. Um, MHCLG have asked for class uh, one and two, which is the polyethylene core and the fire retardant one to be remediated. Um, so that would suggest that they may be comfortable with the um, non-combustible uh, ACM cladding, but um, I, I'm not aware and we haven't been provided with any information. Um, I think it was more a sort of a visual survey rather than a, you know, intrusive 
survey where they took a, a sample of it and actually tested it. So, but it is, um, they, they have enough information to suggest it's ACM cladding, but our discussions with the fire brigade um, have not informed us as to which type of ACM cladding it is. So are you saying all ACMs need to be removed? All types um, or just one and two? Um, just well, our interpretation at this stage was one and two. Where we're um, obviously MHCLG were reviewing their ban on combustible materials, and we were waiting to see what would it cover all three, or would it just cover the the, the class one and class two? So we don't actually know technically what ACM is on Victoria base. Um, well, from the information I saw, which came from the fire brigade, um, no. They're just saying it's ACM cladding. They're not saying which category it is. So we don't actually know if we need to replace it or not? Well, um, it would need to be tested. Um, and if it meets the requirements for replacement, then uh, which MHCLG have defined, it's safe to, it's the best policy to stick with what MHCLG have said, because they've had the resources and have did all the research. Um, to identify which uh, uh, classifications of cladding are unsafe and which should be removed. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Chair. Um, the, uh, obviously, a lot of this is down to the hard work and campaign and persistence and campaigning of the Victoria Place residents. Who I know have been uh, uh, Victoria Place is in my constituency, and my colleague, predecessor Claire Hannah, has been working with them on it. Um, uh, so pleased to see that this. Uh, fund has been set up in principle. I just wanted to ask a couple of questions about um, the um, how much information there is about the scale of the problem. Um, it would uh, seem to be uh, so. I mean, to Sharon or Billy or anyone, do, do you have at this stage a view as to whether um, Victoria Place is likely to be the only? Um, uh, uh, I know you're you're doing the, essentially a kind of call a call out for information. But is your view that it is likely to be the only example uh, of this in Northern Ireland, or do you think there'll be others? At this point in time, we believe it's the only one. Um, but we we obviously want to make sure that there, we're not missing any information. Um, and, that, and that's really why the public call. But the public call will also serve the purpose of looking at the scale of the over 18 metres non-ACM. Yeah. Um, we believe there's about 127 um, buildings across the province that ha that are over 18 metres. So that that's the cap. But it's how many of those buildings then have ACM unsafe ACM that's not uh, unsafe um, cladding that's not ACM. It's very difficult. All those, and that's really what the public call will do. So your belief is that the specific type of ACM that's over 18 metres is unique to Victoria Place? Yes. Here, but there may be other properties that are either over 18 metres that have other kinds of cladding. And Keith went through the um, various types of composite material that I conclude. Or there are buildings under 18 metres that also have, that do have this kind of ACM. We're not looking at any buildings under 18 metres at present. We're looking only at looking for ACM on buildings over 18 metres. And that call is broadened out to other types of cladding on buildings over 18 metres that is also unsafe. And, and that's a, that is a, a far broader exercise because it is, it is very technical then. 
ACM, as Billy mentioned, even the, the physical inspection, yeah. you can't dictate that it is ACM. On the other types of clavi, it isn't as apparent, which means there will be a lot more investigation. The application process will also call for all of that evidence, you know, about the tests and um, and, and that will take time. The call will be open until the 31st of October, and that's not to get all of the evidence. That's just to notify us that they that they believe they're in a building that has ACM, and then we'll work with them. Our construction colleagues will work with them to develop, you know, to make sure that we go through the eligibility criteria. Uh, and just on the question of um, uh, the the residential buildings, is there um, is there a concern that you, that people who are in um, uh, buildings which have, for example, office or commercial space on the ground floor, um, are, are you specifically excluding them if theoretically there was a building which, which was mixed use, and, and that obviously is not uncommon in Belfast anyway and other cities? They will be within scope. Oh, they will be, okay. So if you are a, uh, in scope of the fund, not just scope of the call for information, uh, and scope of the fund, it's, it's again mirroring what's MHCLG has done. So if there is a building that's predominantly residential right. and they have some commercial units on the ground floor, that will be deemed to be within scope if it's okay. over 18 metres and it's predominantly private residential. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And then the, the final point is on the, on the million pounds. Again, the million pounds is not a... Um, it, am I understanding it correctly that the million pounds is effectively... An amount that you have chosen, which you think will comfortably cover the cost of doing Victoria Place, uh, and sort of with a bit of headroom, but it is not a—it's neither a costing for Victoria Place nor an estimate of the cost for doing this uh, for the whole of Northern Ireland. It's basically a number that gives you a bit of headroom and starts you on your way, to, for want of a better phrase. Yes, and if we if we identify that more funds are needed to remediate ACM cladding, we will go back to the executive. And likewise, the the non-ACM cladding, the buildings that are identified will will give us a scope to go back to the executive again once this cross-departmental group has met and responsibilities are agreed on who will take the the next game forward. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Jim, do you want to come back in again? Uh, is there not a bit of the cart before the horse here? We're, set, we're setting up a public-funded scheme without knowing if the cladding in question is combustible or not, because no one has troubled to sample it. Sure, that's the first step. It should have been taken in respect to Victoria Place. Sorry, maybe, maybe I can come ahead. in there. Actually, the, 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 the responsible entity for Victoria Place has provided a fire test certificate conducted by Warrington Fire in England, which confirms that it's ACM similar to that on Grenfell, right. and they've given the combustibility rating. So we were given misleading information a few minutes ago. We well, it was just clarifies. We've seen that certificate. We just need to clarify with them. We'll need more information just to confirm it. But the early indication is that that test, whether it's um, sufficient or not, has confirmed that it's ACM. Of a combustible nature? Yes. Just one other point. What does 18 metres equate to in terms of st stories of a building? It's about seven stories, is, is my understanding. Six or seven, is it? It's nine, nine, I think. Billy, you may be able to confirm that. Yeah, it's um, when they talk about 18 metres, it's measured from ground level to the floor of the top story. 
So a building um, that uh, could actually be 21 meters high. Um, so it's, um, it's uh, 18 meters. Um, so it's about six stories. Six stories, not nine. Mm -hmm. Six. Six or seven, yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay. Yep. Okay. Sorry, Jim. Um, you queried what I had said there a while ago. I had not seen, I just said I hadn't seen the certificate, um, or, but obviously Michael has, but I hadn't seen that certificate. So apologize if I misled should, you there. Should you have seen it? Um, well, no, uh, because um, I'm involved in building regulations and the information was being provided by the fire service for building safety program issues. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Uh, any other further questions? Okay, thanks very much indeed, Sharon, Michael, and Billy. Thank you. Can we you. Uh, take them off the spotlight, please, Stephen? Okay. Um, there's a couple of interesting questions that have come out of the sort of the evidence session. I think we've just heard. Uh, one of the questions that obviously I have, if it hadn't been for the hard work and the sort of, uh, I think, Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the residents themselves have raised the issue about the, the cladding. It, that's the only reason we're looking at this? Well, yeah, I mean, I know that Claire, my colleague, has engaged them and had meetings with the, um, and we've specifically brought those concerns uh, along with the residents to the, um, to the department. Um, uh, but yes, I think primarily it has been the, the residents who brought this to their attention. Okay. And because it's only residential buildings, we don't know if it's on sites of university buildings or hospitals or any other form of uh, building that's above six floors. Do we? Uh, well, I... I, I I'm I, not... It's a rhetorical that. question that's been placed out there, but it just seems to me there's a, there's a, further, there's a further question here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the point of be widened out into 18 metres full stop, whatever building, that, yeah. that it's people in it, whether residential or not, hospitals. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking of some, some of the... Yeah. I'm not going to name any because obviously somebody will pick up on it and think we're, we're thinking that's the case, but, you know, it just seems to be of interest. I think it's something we need to be kept, kept carefully informed in by the department on which buildings they are looking at. But the question we have at the moment, if we are content on the uh, related policy... And if we're happy to uh, uh, also agree on this rule on the SL1, and I think we are, but we would like to get fully informed of how we're going to. Go ahead, sorry, Melissa. Content, yeah. Okay, thanks very much indeed. So, therefore, if we have no objections to the latest policy and it's also content for the department to make the rule, are we agreed? Agreed with the caveats we've raised. Okay. Right, team, moving on to correspondence. And as I say, we have 34. Or, oh. Thirty-four uh, received items of correspondence, uh, starting from page 136. I shall try and get through this as quickly as possible, Tim. Uh, first one is the procurement reform bill. Members are asked to note ministerial correspondence at page 143, advising the committee that Westminster officials are drawing up legislation to implement some of the proposals included in the Cabinet Office Green Paper on procurement. As the bill deals with devolved matters, it is indicated that the executive will reserve the right to not have the bill applied to Northern Ireland in part or in full. At page 136, uh, Peter has provided information on the content of the Green Paper. 
the use of MAT rather than MEAT, the National Procurement Policy Statement, uh, something that has been of interest to us before on fast-track court access, digital data sharing. The Minister indicates that he will write to the Committee seeking its views as this matter progresses. Are we content to note? Content? content. The Department has also asked for sight of previous uh, Justice Department correspondence to the Committee re reference procurement-related court costs. costs. Is the Committee content to share this previous correspondence with the Department? I think we are agreed. 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 Uh, next item, uh, dilapidation payments. Members are asked to also note on page 146, Ministerial Correspondence and Dilapidation Payments. The Minister supports the Committee's view that new legislation is required in respect of dilapidation payments, but indicates there is insufficient time in the present mandate. Are we content to note? Content. Uh, Loss of critical banking services. Members are asked to consider page 147 of the Minister's response on the loss of critical banking services. The Minister indicates that he has asked officials to continue engaging with both the Financial Services Union and the U and UK Finance to develop proposals for how a banking forum might be established and that this body might consider, amongst other things, the impact of the total loss of banking services in the community. Are we content to forward the correspondence to the Financial Services Union? I think we are agreed. agreed. Yeah. Uh, Dansk AIB bank closures. Members are asked to note correspondence from AIB at page 151 on its recent strategic review. Announced it will close 60% of its branch network, including eight branches in November, and correspondence from Danska at page 154 on the closure of branch of the branch in Molusk. Oh, sorry, I should have made a declaration of interest. Molusk is in my uh, in my constituency, and I have already expressed my reservations to Danska about being kept informed of what's going on with bank closures and my particular views on that. Is the committee content to note? Yep. Yep. Uh, Financial Services Union uh, bank closures. Members asked to note at page 169 a press statement forwarded to the committee by FSU on the announcement of the AIB bank closures. Are we content to note? Great. Uh, Department of Finance mon monthly forecast outturn for June July 2021. Members are asked to consider at page 172 correspondence from the Department providing the monthly forecast outturn for June and July. Uh, RAISE has done some quite good work on the analysis of this. Are we happy to forward this to RAISE for further analysis and research? Agreed. Investing activity report. Members are asked to note at page 200 the investing activity report for July. Is the committee content to note? Content. The capital delivery programme. Members are also asked to note at page 203 a departmental response advising the committee that although the pandemic has affected supply chains, it is not expected to affect delivery on the executive's capital programme. Content to note? Yep. Okay. Uh, HM, Her Majesty's Treasury's response to all budget processes. Members are also asked to note page 206 a response from Her Majesty's Treasury. Chief Secretary of the Treasury again declines to appear before the committee, but advises that key budget decisions are made in the autumn, which should not allow enough time for devolved administrations to make and consult on budget decisions. Um, one of the things that, as a committee, we have been asking for on, some, on numerous occasions is a timeline of when various things are likely to happen, between, particularly in the budgetary process. Uh, we know when the autumn statement is going to be. Uh, we have had indications that they'd be looking towards multi-year budgets, and I think it might be appropriate for the committee to write to the department to ask the minister to give us his view on the timelines 
and when we can expect various things such as sort of uh, detailed analysis, budget, statements, all the other bits and pieces so that we actually have them between now and the end of the mandate. And I think that was something would be very useful for the committee to have if we were content. Yep. Sorry, Matthew. Content. Yeah, I was also going to say if uh, <coughs> I think we have separate correspondence in the Fiscal Council, but um, uh, I wonder if mm, we want to, in in some of our correspondence with the Fiscal Council, ask them if they would consider um, appearing before us ahead of the UK comprehensive spending review at some stage in the autumn. Yeah, I was going to bring that up when we came to that part of correspondence, okay. but I was going to suggest we do it just after. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, when they've got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Are we content? Tip. Uh, Scottish Welsh Parliament's collaborative working members are asked to consider at page 210 correspondence from the newly elected chairperson of the Welsh Parliament's Finance Committee to this committee and the Scottish Finance Committee on collaborative working, particularly on the budget process. A copy of the response from the Scottish Committee is at page 212. Are members content to respond, sharing the HM Her Majesty's Treasury's correspondence and indicating that this committee is pleased to cooperate with those in other jurisdictions? And to review the budget development process in line with the outworking of the Fiscal Council. Are we agreed? Agreed. Yep. Uh, Community Foundation Northern Ireland participatory budgeting. Members are asked to note at page 214 a copy of correspondence from the Department to the Committee for the Executive Office, indicating the Department of Finance will continue to work with the Community Foundation Northern Ireland and look at how other jurisdictions promote participatory budgeting. Budgeting. Are we content to note? Yeah. Uh, item number 13, MOU from the Northern Ireland, Fisc on the, uh, Northern Ireland Fiscal Council. We're asked to consider the correspondence from the Department on the Memorandum of Understanding between the Department of Finance and the Fiscal Council. The MOU includes a fairly high-level promise by the Department to share information with the Fiscal Council within 10 working days if the appropriate request template is used and subject to the proviso that the Fiscal Council does not publish information that the Department considers restricted. <coughs> and that it delays publication of budget information until the executive has published its budget. The MOU will be set aside when legislation, will be set aside when legislation establishing the Fiscal Council is passed. Is anybody any comments? Matthew? Major, um, so I, I've gone through this in brief. I haven't gone through it like in, mm -hmm. like in real scrutiny, line-by-line line detail, but one, um, I guess, concern or question is around it, it's encouraging that they've produced this MOU and it's been, it's been signed off and there's lots of clearly good things in here, but it is obviously primarily between the Department of Finance and the Fiscal Council. That's as you would expect in one sense, but given that we don't know yet know when we're going to get legislation, I don't know if we've had an update. In exact, um, uh, there is a slight lacuna, which is what other departments do. Because it, it says, I think, in the draft MOU or the MOU that... Um, that there will need to be, uh, or maybe it's in a letter, the covering letter, that there will need to be, ah, yes, it says that Colin Boyd has written to his colleagues saying that uh, they should agree their own MOUs with the Fiscal Council. Um, it's clearly not going to be as high a priority for a, another department um, let to, to agree um, MOUs with the Fiscal Council. It would be helpful to know what obligation they have, any timelines been given to them by the Department of Finance to do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because if we go up into the latter half of this year and this high-level thing has been agreed between Department of Finance and the Fiscal Council, that's good that that's happened. But then 
they've no if they've no agreement in place with so, the Department of Justice or health or health any of the other. I mean, my concern is that it's supposed to be the whole purpose of having the fiscal council is to overview, overview the budgetary process. Yeah. Budgetary process is owned by the Northern Ireland Executive in its totality with yeah. all the departments. This is an MOU just with the Department of Finance, and it doesn't seem to me to be able to cover sufficiently the remit that the the remit we expect from the fiscal council to try and achieve that. And it puts on considerable burden on the Department of Finance, where in fact it should be up to all departments or within the executive to have an MOU with the Fiscal Council. That's that's my perspective of it. Do we have any other views? It says here, just on that, on Matthew's point, about the, they've obviously shared a draft one. Colin Boyle has shared a, dra a draft MOU, but then what power is there to make those other departments yeah. Yeah. Do, it and, uh, do it and do it in a timely manner? And I mean, that's Whatever one they use. Yeah, and that, that's the problem because the whole purpose of this is to bring sort of um, financial discipline across all the departments. But if it's just been imposed in the Department of Finance, and we have seen the difficulty the Department of Finance has had over sort of the last year of getting information from things like arm's length bodies and other things and in a timely ma manner as well, and we have seen the number of times when we have had the sort of the sort of the, the quarterly reviews and the information that's come through. I mean, the lack of some of the, the lack of information coming through, and we have heard from every single committee of Western Assembly. I mean, the lack of sort of information they have received in a timely manner. So I think if there's going to, be, I think the MOU should spread beyond just the Department of Finance. And I would be minded to write to uh, both the minister and to the uh, fiscal uh, council to say that we would like to see the MOU expanded to cover all departments within the Northern Ireland Executive, uh, if we were so minded. Yeah, I mean, I think they've. I, I, yes, I agree with that. From HR. I think they've, in a sense, they've said they want to do that or that that should happen, but they haven't said. Or the the covering letter says that, but it doesn't say that is how it's going to happen or how it's going to be mandated. Yeah. And and if you look at, I think it's the, it's in the annex terms of reference. No, in the budget. Annex B at 233, which is, I think, an annex to the, it says, it is a, a table with a list of owners of actions, things that the, the Fiscal Council, I presume, should have routine access to. Two of them, the vast majority are from our DOF owner, owners, but then two of them are departmentals, and they're quite significant ones, so they need to be signed up, they need to be joined up and signed up to that. And further to that, I mean, we'd had, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but um, there was some correspondence we had uh, over the recess, and it was to do with the financial reporting bill, and the fact that we didn't get very many responses from uh, any of the ALBs, and you had the distinct impression that, having read the correspondence, that many of them hadn't actually realised there was a reporting requirement. And if that's sort of the level that we're getting for a bill that's going through um, this assembly, and we're still not getting something from the sort of the fiscal fiscal council, I think it was appropriate that we highlight this. Uh, the other issue is the question. Sorry, go ahead. To the chair. Yeah, Melissa. Just to the chair there. Just I noticed that uh, on page ten, just. Uh, for the council to perform its duties accurately and efficiently, close working with the Northern Ireland Executive and departments will be essential. Yeah. As well, to data information sharing and arrangements will be put in place to ensure this. Uh, is that not sort of stated fairly clearly there? Like that's the intention, anyway. Uh, 
think it's the difference, relationship between the intention and because remember we want to put this on a statutory basis. That would mean that all departments have to report. But unless there's something that's formally a formal MOU that says you will, rather than it is the intent to. And I think bearing in mind, you know, we're not going to. You know, I would love to get um, on statute uh, the fiscal the the fiscal council between now and the end of this assembly. But I don't. I, the, the timings mean that it's going to be sort of fairly compressed if we would manage to do that. So we need to start off right from the beginning that you know all departments. You know, it, there is a, there is a duty that you have to do this, unless it's actually formally read down in an MOU. I don't think it. I don't think they will. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing about it: if if, if they have, if they have a duty to do it and they do it sort of willingly, it's not a problem. And we've already achieved a lot. Of what we're trying to do by putting it on a statutory basis, and I think that's sort of the sort of the intent from both what the minister and the executive have said. And was the intent within the new decade, new approach? So I think that would be a useful thing to do. If we're content, okay. Happy. Thank you. Uh, the other item was uh, when we were talking about the fiscal council. It was uh, arrangements for the uh, informed of information uh, that's restricted. I think we had when we were getting our evidence from I think so the Scots or from the OBR. There was a relation. There was a formal relationship between the sort of uh, their uh, the fiscal councils and the OBRs with the finance committees within the relative uh, legislatures. Again, on the sort of restricted nature of it, in camera nature of it as well. Uh, I would. I think that we should be again informed of uh, those particular issues that that were being looked at, but again on a strictly restricted information uh, reason. And I'm thinking about getting heads up of sort of significant areas that the fiscal council are looking at. It would be useful if we had a heads up of them as well, so that we were able to do our scrutiny role with a, um, you know, rather than waiting for it to happen, is to actually be informed of it. But on the strict proviso that it was on a restricted information basis and the same basis that between the fiscal council and the department. And I would like to write to the minister and the fiscal council on that on that basis if we are content. Content. Uh, moving on to the next item on the agenda, the Fiscal Commission, the work programme. Members are asked to consider page 237, a response from the Northern Ireland Fiscal Commission on its work programme. The Commission indicates that it is engaging with stakeholders and may launch a formal call for evidence shortly, with an interim report on further tax devolution being published before the end of the calendar year. The Commission asked to make the committee to make a, uh, committee to make a submission and meet with it prior to the publication of the interim report. Um, I'm just saying, are the members content to respond to the Commission, stating that the Committee will not make a formal submission, but will instead publicly scrutinise the Commission's interim and final reports? Any views? Great. Great. Thank you. Uh, item number 15 on the agenda, Presbyterian Mutual Society. Members asked to note at page 247 a response from the Department for the Economy on the Presbyterian Mutual Society. The response advised that the Joint Supervisors issued a letter on in January 2021 to all PMS members creditors communicating that as the current asset values indicated a shortfall in repayment of the DFE loan, there were no further repayment to any other class of creditor or member. All shareholders and creditors received at least 77 per cent. That's 2,000 savers with less than 20 grand invested, including 100 per cent of savings and 85 per cent of loans. 60% of remaining PMS savers have £1,000 invested, 
and around 100 savers appear to still have over £50,000 invested. Are we content to note, or do we have any commentary? Noted. Uh, Memorandum of reply, driver and vehicle agency. Members are asked to note on page 252 the Department's Memorandum of Reply to the Public Accounts Committee Review of the Northern Ireland Audit Office Report Driver and Vehicle Agency 2019-20. Uh, PAC have made three recommendations on the Department for Infrastructure and DVA have accepted all the recommendations, including a review of DVA as a trading fund. Do we have any comments? Okay. You can tend to note. <clears throat> Memorandum of reply, capacity and capability in the Northern Ireland Civil Service. Members are asked to consider, page 259, the Department's Memorandum of reply to the Public Accounts Committee review of the NIO, a Northern Ireland Audit Office report in, on the Northern Ireland Civil Service. It is understood that the PAC will conclude its consideration of these matters later in September. You said, I think, the 23rd of September? I believe so. Yeah, 23rd. Yep. It also appears that quite a lot of activity is underway in Northern Ireland Civil Service HR, uh, set out by the clerk in the index at page 139, including a number of new policies and reviews. There seems to be a, a, a considerable revamp going on, and we know that revamps ne needed, and they're getting on with it. But I think um, I think we should be uh, asking these questions when we get the oral briefing from the Northern Ireland Civil Service HR. I think it's on the 3rd of November. Are we content and agreed? Yep. Great. A victims' pension scheme. Members are asked to note at page 270 a departmental response on the key cost of the victims' pension scheme for permanent disability payment. The department clarifies that the president of the board is an existing High Court judge and is compensated accordingly. The 300,000 figure includes pension costs, national insurance contributions, and recruitment and retention allowance. Are we content to note? Noted. Proposed uplift prescribed fees. Members are asked to consider page 273 a departmental response in respect of the proposed uplift of the prescribed fees in Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 of the Building Prescribed Fees Regulation of Northern Ireland 27. The committee had asked why the proposed level up fees to uplift of the, the fees, fees regulation was set at 35%. The department argues that fees have not increased since 2013 and the increase reflects cost recovery. Are members content to note at this stage and wait a summary of responses in completion of the consultation that has not yet started? Are we agreed? Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, 1120 and 1121 Building Fire Safety Programme. Members are asked to note the departmental responses at page 281 and 284 on building fire safety. The department clarifies that it is to legislate for a ban on combustible materials in relevant buildings in this mandate. No further details and timings are provided. The Department clarifies that the Head of Civil Service remains responsible for the Building Fire Safety Programme and that only one private residential building over 18 metres has been found to have the aluminium composite material cladding. That's the evidence we've already had today. And I asked the official about to outline what the Head of Civil Service's changes were on the uh, building regulations and safety and how that was done. So there we go. This new guidance that they issued on the, the 21st of July. Yeah, right, so we could get that. Yeah. So that maybe answers that question. Yeah. The Department has secured remediation funding and is undertaking a public call. Yes, we got that. This is subject to SL1 uh, considered earlier. Are members content to incorporate a briefing from the Department on the relevant building regulations into its forward work programme? I think we are. To ensure the Committee is kept updated in matters pertaining to building fire safety. Are we agreed? 
agreed. Uh, response to Committee for Communities, Changing Places Toilets. Members are asked to note page 288, Ministerial response to the Chairperson of the Committee for Communities on Changing Places Toilets. Are we content to note? Note. Agreed. Uh, departmental response, Changing Places Maintenance. Uh, members are asked to consider page 291, a departmental response as to why the Changing Places Toilets Building Regulations Guidance does not oblige these facilities to be maintained. The Department explains that other legislation, such as the Workplace Health and Safety and Welfare Regulations, Northern Ireland 1993, requires sanitary facilities to be kept in a clean and orderly condition. Building regulations can't be used to oblige CPT facilities to be maintained. Are we content uh, to note ahead of receiving a summary of responses following the consultation? Agreed. Uh, moving on to item number 24, DFS response ministerial directions. Uh, I'm still not quite sure about this one. Minister, members are asked to note at page 295 a departmental response clarifying that ministerial directions refer to circumstances where an accounting officer has concerns that the minister's actions cannot be justified on the grounds of regularity, preparatory and or value for money in line with the managing public money Northern Ireland, uh, no, managing public money Northern Ireland. These uh, ministerial directions are subject to the scrutiny of the PAC and are now published promptly on the departmental website. Officials clarified wait for it, that there is no other class of non-MPMNI ministerial direction and that the direction issued to SIA by the then Education Minister was in fact not a ministerial direction. Have you got that? This is apparently contrary to what was in AQW 6403-1722. So basically, it's a ministerial direction if it's got something to do with money, but if it doesn't have something to do with money, it's not a ministerial direction. So when the minister said that they'd made a ministerial direction to see it, it wasn't a ministerial direction, if we've got that. So what has been published is, in fact, ministerial directions. And there's no such thing as non-financial ministerial directions. If I got that's that right, Peter. I think that's it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Major. Um, I mean, it is not correct to say that there's no such thing as a. The, I do find this letter slightly confused. I mean, I should also declare, first of all, I'm a member of the Public Accounts Committee, so we will be. And, and this whole thing started because I think it was actually at me, but there are, the Public Accounts Committee raised the question about consistency in publishing ministerial directions. Um, I think there's a slight toss talking across cross purposes here, where um, eh, they're talking about non-MPNI ministerial directions is the phrase used in our correspondence to the department, to which the department is saying, uh, by which I think we mean anything that doesn't specifically relate to the uh, spending of money. But there are other forms of directions, but they are also mentioned in MPNI, is I think what the Department I think what the Department of Finance is saying, is it not? Chair to clarify, um, Mr Alistair asked a question and uh, some time ago. It's AQWS six four oh three. And it was what he asked was can the Minister for Education indicate the ministerial directions that he's issued? Now the and then the answer came back and the, the minister the M of ministerial and the D of directions were not capitalised. So it came back and said the ministerial directions I have issued are and then there's a reference to SIA and the GCSEs and A levels, uh, the different approach that was adopted for the pandemic. So whenever um, PAC then took up this issue uh, to get ministerial directions properly published, I looked it up on the DOF website. No reference to this ministerial direction, and that's what kicked this off. 
So what we've now established is that wasn't a ministerial direction in terms of managing public money in Northern Ireland, um, but it was a direction from the minister, if you will. Um, so it won't appear on the PAC. Um, uh, won't, would say it won't appear on the on the DOF website. It will not be considered by PAC that kind of direction. And uh, you can see there's further correspondence from the audit office where. They're, that's what they're saying. They've never heard of non-MPM NI ministerial direction. So it was just a, a curious, uh, I don't know, is it a tautology that was used in that AQW? And uh, so having gone down that rabbit hole, I think we've now got to the end of it, is my suggestion, Chairperson. Okay. Are we content to know? Noted. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That, that was very much a yes minister sort of moment. Here, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, sort of, uh, next item was the NIO response ministerial directions. Are, it's a note on page 303, a response uh, clarifying what we've just talked about. Are we content to note? Noted. Um, next item, Justice, Sexual Offences and Traffic and Victims Bill. Members are asked to note at page 307, correspondence from the Committee for Justice regarding call for evidence for the Justice. Sexual Offences and Trafficking Victims Bill. Are we content to note? And to note, a Climate Change Number Two Bill, which is uh, the Minister for Agriculture's bill. Members are asked to note at page 310, correspondence from the Committee for Agriculture, Environment, and Rural Affairs regarding a call for evidence on the Climate Change Number Two Bill, which is being sponsored by the Minister for Agriculture. Members are also asked to note page 312, the Department of Finance response advising that I will not be responding to the committee stage of the Climate Change No. 2 Bill, as it is an executive bill. Are we content to note? Content. <coughs> uh, prison grade staff long-term absence. Members are asked to note page 313, response from the Minister for Justice on prison grade staff long-term absence, indicating that prison grade long-term absences in working days was lower than the overall NICS average of 64 days during this reporting period and highlighting unique matters pertaining to operational roles and effects from pressure due to COVID. Any comments? We content to note. Uh, item 1129, House of Lords Protocol Subcommittee on the Protocol, uh, EU Regulations 2021-414. Members are asked to also note at page 317 a copy of the correspondence from the House of Lords European Affairs Subcommittee on the Protocol in Ireland, Northern Ireland to Her Majesty's Treasury, seeking clarity on the impact on Northern Ireland's businesses and engagement with the Executive in respect of EU Regulation 2021-414 that pertains to electronic systems for the exchange and storage of information. Members are also asked to note an uh, HM Treasury response at page 319, which seems to indicate that Trader Support Service will service will advise Northern Ireland businesses and that changes may allow the United Kingdom government discussions with the EU on the protocol. Sorry, Jim. Uh, two comments, if I might. Yep. The letter back from Treasury, page three, 319, I think it is, um, references three annexes, which don't appear in the pack. Could the clerk confirm whether or not they were forwarded to the committee? I've and had, if not, could we ask for them? Uh, Chairperson, I've asked for the explanatory memorandum, um, uh, and that has just appeared. It appeared just a few minutes before the meeting started. Um, I'll, uh, that'll be in, uh, what I could do is just put this correspondence back into yeah, um, back. next week, um, so you can see week. the whole bit. It doesn't actually tell you very much more. Um, but um, I mean, really, I've just received it. But I will uh, seek uh, any additional. Um, 
uh, annexes uh, from the House of Lords because they're back from their holidays now. Okay. Are we content to have that the next week? The second part I wanted to make was I'm very surprised and disappointed that not a single Northern Ireland department, and I'm thinking particularly of Economy and DERA, saw fit to make any comment or response to an inquiry from the Treasury about this regulation which enhances the existing um, IT systems uh, in respect of the protocol, enhances in the sense, as I can understand it, of upping the demands of that system, and yet not a single department seemed to have a word to say about it. Why would that be? Questions? Have you got a proposal, Jim? No, I have several assembly questions which I'll table as a result. Okay. I will take this item of correspondence again next week after we've had a chance to all read the... What are the annexes? Uh, there's an explanatory memorandum which hadn't been provided, and uh, I think the members referred to some annexes which I wasn't aware of, but uh, I've included everything I had, um, but I will seek the others from um, House of Lords and uh, um, include them. Okay, thank you. Uh, next item on the agenda, House of Lords Subcommittee on the Protocol for VAT. Members asked to note on page 322 a copy of correspondence from the House of Lords European Affairs Subcommittee on the Protocol on, uh, on the Protocol. To HM Treasury asking for a further update when discussion concludes in Article 8 and VAT in Northern Ireland. Comments? Okay, content to note. Uh, next item on the agenda, uh, Subcommittee on the Protocol Introductory Report. Members asked to consider at page 324 of the House of Lords European Affairs Subcommittee on the Protocol Northern Ireland Northern Ireland Introductory Report. The report was forwarded to members on the 29th of July. The remit of the committee includes scrutiny of new and amended legislation, both domestic and EU, within the scope of the protocol and the protocol governance bodies. The report does not comment on the UK Government Command Paper on the way forward for the protocol or the EU's response. The report makes a series of recommendations at page 383 to 390 of meeting packs in respect to what is termed the proportionate application of the protocol and respect of enhancing Northern Ireland's influence in the this regard. The subcommittee invites alternatives to the protocol and indicates that it will scrutinise these as part of the forward work programme. Um, members, are we content to, uh, to note ahead of, the, of its consideration of the forward work programme later in the meeting, which will include consideration of further briefings on the protocol and EU exit? Are we content? Agreed. Trader Support Service. Members are asked to note at page 418 a response from Trader Support Service on the client satisfaction figures. The response includes how the levels of customer calls received have varied since TSS was established. The slides appear to show inquiries dropped by about half from March 21 to June 2021 to around 33,000. Is that 33,000 a month? I think so, yeah. 33,000 a month. Are we content to note? Noted. Uh, quarterly economic survey, uh, second quarter uh, 2021. Members asked also to note on page 422 the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce quarterly economic sur survey summary for the second quarter of 2021. The Northern Ireland Protocol 50% of businesses report experiencing some difficulty of trade with the rest of our country. 
but 47% of businesses identify opportunities associated with Northern Ireland's differing Brexit status. 87% of businesses believe that the current political environment will damage Northern Ireland's international reputation, trade, etc. The survey also reports signs of recovery in manufacturing and services following the pandemic. Are we content to note? Noted. The advice, Chairperson, members, we're now on our quorum. So, sorry. Are we? We are. This Who? Who? We, just, we just lost Jim. Are we? Yeah. I'll just text him to make sure he's not having technical difficulties. But uh, okay. As um, we're, we're not quorum at the moment, so we, we no, we are quorum. We just are about. Quorum. We're just on our quorum. Also, proceed rapidly. Uh, Institute for Government UK Shared Prosperity Fund members are asked to note at page four 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 the Institute of Government's report UK Shared Prosperity Fund. The fund is expected to involve the UK government making spending decisions relating to devolved matters, with as yet unspecified involvement by devolved administrations, perhaps involving a new interministerial group under powers included in the UK Internal Market Act and using an index of economic resilience as the basis of allocations. The Institute for Government uh, suggests that there is a risk that UK-wide scheme run by the UK government would risk duplication and also fail to tap into the Northern Ireland Executive's expertise and not secure vital cross-community support in Northern Ireland and comply with statutory equality and good relations obligations in the allocation of funds designed to support community relations. Compared with England, allocations of EU structural funds per person were a little over a third higher in Scotland, more than twice as high in Northern Ireland and nearly six times as high in Wales. <laughs> Institute for Government further reports that the North East and South West of England received higher funding per person than Scotland and a similar level to Northern Ireland. There was almost nine times per more capita than the structural funds paid to the South East of England. In Northern Ireland, applicants to the Community Renewal Fund, the Interim Shared Prosperity Fund, apply directly to MHCLG, whereas in Great Britain, the CRF was used to, to, in, to development coordination by local councils. Members, are we content to note? Noted. Yep. Composite requests. Members are asked to request the composite request on page 485. Are we agreed? Agreed. Any other business? Thank you. Uh, date and time in the next meeting, uh, bearing in mind we're going to go into closed session very shortly. Uh, date and time in the next meeting will be in here at uh, 1400 next week. Thank you very much indeed. Now we're going into closed session. Northern Ireland Assembly, Senate Chamber, program signed.